our founding fathers of the United States of America, amazing men, brilliant men, good men, God-fearing men, and they were all in the right place at the right time, came together and gave birth to a country and our Constitution, our beautiful Constitution. Wow, the Bill of Rights. Have you looked at it lately? You know, what do we have in there? We have the right, if we are accused, to a speedy and public trial. That's up to the defendant. If the defendant wants one, the defendant gets one, a speedy and public trial. Except, of course, if you're Donald Trump. That didn't happen in this E. Jean Carroll matter, huh? It was impossible. 1995, 1996 is when the alleged incident happened. What else are you entitled to in that Constitution of ours? An impartial jury. Yes, impartial. Is it possible for President Trump to have an impartial jury in New York County, in Manhattan, overwhelmingly Democrat hmm? in an election year? It's not. That's in the Constitution, though. You know what's not in the Constitution? The Department of Justice. Department of Justice is actually not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution. That's kind of interesting, don't you think? And the FBI and uh, federal law enforcement. Now, we need some of that, and there's a way to make that happen constitutionally. But it's interesting that the federal apparatus of law enforcement and our judicial system, they say that Ashley Babbitt's death does not matter, did not matter. The whole system said that was okay, that an unarmed woman was killed, and they all kind of went about their business. Yet E. Jean Carroll and her crazy 30-year-old story, right? That must be heard. The federal court system just facilitated for her an $83 million settlement. I would like to put Ashley Pabbitt and E. Jean Carroll together, right? I mean, is this a country that is that the wheels have come off? Starting with Ashley Babbitt, what did she do on January 6th? She walked peacefully down the street. It's documented. We have it. It's a good chance that your friends, if they lean left, haven't seen this. But she was peaceful that day. Here she is inside the Capitol, walking, guess what, like a Taurus. The police shot her. Before they shot her, they failed her. Three police officers just standing there. They were ordered to be there to guard the House chamber. And for some reason, all at the same moment, they decided to take a coffee break. We're out of here. And they just walked away. I see people out there get hurt. I don't want to hurt. I just. ever seen this? The three officers standing next to Ashley Babbitt. Is Ashley Babbitt a threat? Why aren't they apprehending her? Why aren't they doing anything to her? We now know that she was actually calling for peace. She didn't want people breaking windows or anything like that. These cops failed her. We can all see that. Her husband is filing a lawsuit, has filed a lawsuit. I hope he's successful. Because there are so many unanswered questions that our culture is blowing off. Why did the cops duck to protect themselves and not protect Ashley? Watch this. See that? That's the officer who sees Michael Byrd's gun on the other side of the door. He starts to duck 
but is he trying to get hold of that situation or anything? Or get Ashley or the others out of the way? No. And then she's shot. What happened? They were standing against the wall. Ashley Babbitt's right there, and she winds up getting shot. There are three police officers who could have stopped the whole thing, who could have communicated on the other side. And then to make matters worse, they bring her out of there as if she were a wheelbarrow, holding her by the legs, going down the steps. You know, even I know, you're supposed to elevate the wound. Her neck is bleeding. Look at how they're holding her, by her feet with the head down. So, the man who shot that woman, Lieutenant Michael Byrd, now a captain. He has been promoted, everybody. Did you know that? Promoted and given a gold medal. And it would look like he was being deceptive on, Jan on January 6th because a minute after shooting her, somewhere between 45 and 60 seconds later, he made this call on the radio, seeming to indicate that um, he hadn't opened fire yet. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're shot. Prepare to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Don't leave that in. Don't leave that in. We got shots fired. Seeming to indicate that he was being fired at. The only shot that had been fired that day was his gun from him into Ashley Babbitt. What we're doing here is reviewing evidence. There is very real evidence here that needs to be addressed. Ashley Babbitt died. And why don't, why doesn't our establishment care? Why doesn't the media care? Well, she's got a, some major strikes against her, right? She's MAGA, pro-Trump. She's white and a woman. On the left, they have a word for that, a Karen, right? So the entire establishment turns its back on on her, some people online say, oh, she got what she deserved. You should see the horrible comments. Meanwhile, E. Jean Carroll, and I'm sorry, let's just be, let's just have some common sense here. This is a, I'll be nice here, a very eccentric woman who lacks credibility. Her lawyers were besides themselves yesterday. I mean, they have to keep an eye on her. This is no way to talk, even if you did win. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Or, yes. Tell me. I had such, such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh. All right. All right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> I laugh in pretty, pretty hard. Is it really a joke? So... Look, um, it's easy to find goofy stuff that she said, and 
there will be more of that, and some of it is very relevant, but I want to focus on something else. So she's out there having the time of her life on this morning show, on that show, all over the place, just drinking it all in, loving it, loving every moment of it. The media should do its part, don't you think? I mean, there, were, there was a lot of evidence that was not admissible. The judge said, no, I don't want to hear anything about her statements that might suggest uh, that she has some very unconventional views about sex, that she, I don't know, <laughs> is totally divorced from reality. We can't talk about that. George Stephanopoulos wouldn't go there. No, it was just like he was doing PR work for her. It's been reported the exchange smiles with the jurors on the way out. Is that true? Isn't that cute? Isn't that cute? Remember, these mainstream media types, right, at the top, $288,000 a week. A week. Thanks. Let's go over to CBS. Ms. I would Carol, like to know uh, the toll that this has taken on you, Eugene, how you prepared for this. Were you ever afraid for your life? Were you ever worried about? Because when was the last time you saw Donald Trump? Because he didn't come, come to the last trial. He, he showed up for this one. So you guys are in the same courtroom together. $13 million, $250,000 per week. And, and the most disastrous interview that, well, is actually being spun as somehow a triumphant one, Rachel Maddow. Take a look. You guys have lived this case in one way or another um, since 2019, when Trump was still in the White House and you published your book. How different is it now to be part of this case now that you are out the other side? You have won this massive $83 million judgment. How does it feel? How does it feel, Rachel Maddow, to make more than a half million dollars a week? You don't get that kind of money for telling the truth, all right? Now, what else did they say? Let's see, the questions were, you know, what did it feel like? Oh, you were looking at Trump, you were in the same room with him. You know, how are you gonna spend the money? Uh, that kind of stuff. Now, if it were up to me, and I'm no expert in the case, I can only, you know, I can only find out so much, but, well, I would have started with her Twitter account. And I would have said, E. Jean Carroll, in uh, approximately 2004, 2005, it says that you were a massive fan of The Apprentice. That doesn't seem to, well, it undermines this whole idea that Donald Trump sexually assaulted her. What do you think, huh? How about this? You said the assault happened in Bergdorf Goodman, in a department store here in New York City, huh? Um, if it was so traumatizing, and if it really happened, wouldn't you want to... Avoid that place. You were in, in, you say you were in Bergdorf Goodman. I was coming out of Bergdorf's. Which was, was a store I heard you liked a lot. It's a posh and cozy. Your and whole just, face lights up when you talk about Bergdorf. I, just, I was just there today. Okay. It just, I just loved it. So, I, look, we've all had a lot of conversations post Me Too, right? And the trauma that's involved. I know something about trauma, and you don't go hanging around the place, especially when it's optional. Lots of places to shop. I'm sorry. These are questions that if you get paid a half million dollars a week, you should have the temerity to ask. Oh, also, I actually remember a husband of hers. His name was John Johnson. He's still alive. He's in his 80s. A great guy, a great broadcast journalist. Um, watch. Good evening. I'm Dana Tyler. And I'm John Johnson. We begin with the deadly attack on the former New York City police officer. He was gunned down tonight in the Bronx, and the killers are still on the loose. So, John Johnson, if you grew up here in New York City, you know who this guy is. And he was married to E. Jean Carroll. 
I looked at one of her books and what she said about her ex-husband. Well, it's in your book, E. Jean. And what did you say? JJ, who is six feet three and was in a rage because I'd called him an ape, was kneeling on the bed. You called a black man an ape. I think that given your, well, newsworthiness, I want to know a little bit more about that. Back to your tale about what happened in the department store. She said something to Anderson Cooper that suggests she had money on the mind a long time ago. Then we went up. He was going to get some lingerie. And I am just like, oh, well, I can dine out forever on this story. We're going to go get lingerie. Okay, dine out forever. <laughs> Dine out forever. That means you're going to tell the story and you're going to have people enthralled. They may even pay you. Dine out forever on this story. It's a very strange thing to say. Can we agree? Do we still have a culture where this stuff is abnormal or at least deserves scrutiny in a court of law? And if not on a court of law, in a court of law, on a TV talk show? Are we so precious that you can't? Her book, by the way, the one where she... Um, tries to implicate Trump. Well, she talks about five other men who hassled her, who assaulted her sexually. Uh, well, nothing about them. Why, where are the lawsuits about them? Because this is what it was really all about. And she said it out loud last night. The fight now is really to take back our future. This is a man who stacked the Supreme Court, took away women's rights over their own bodies. We would like to be a part of turning um, our eyes to the future and taking back our rights. Doesn't seem to have anything to do with her alleged um, matter with Donald Trump, does it? Sounds like she has an agenda. And so do the attorneys next to her. They both look a little bit guilty somehow sitting next to her. Uh, the one on the right with the brown hair. Uh, did you know this? The judge officiated her wedding. You know, I hear, oh, well, that actually came up in pretrial discussions. All right. But is that right? Is that fair? How about this? Roberta Kaplan, the uh, one on the other side, she actually worked at the same law firm at the same time with the judge. Now, I keep hearing, well, yes, this was addressed or this will be addressed. And no, 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 no. What they have done to Donald Trump legally at least, somewhat, they've overwhelmed him. Now, I think he has, what, five cases, six <laughs> against him. That, from a legal perspective, is kind of overwhelming. And he's running for president. And he's having trouble acquiring legal talent. He has great lawyers, but the message is out there, loud and clear. Represent Trump at your own risk. Look at what they did to Rudy Giuliani for zealously defending his client, the president of the United States. So this is not right. And deep down they know it, but they don't care because this is all about abortion and getting Joe Biden in and all this other stuff. Next. Donald Trump is stripped of, you know, all of the press and not at a rally, and there's no TV cameras, and he sort of has a small group of supporters around him, he's not that scary. It's an interesting thing she said. Her name is Sean Crowley, I believe, one of the lawyers. Stripped of the press. That's what she said. When he's stripped of the press, he's not scary. Now, it's interesting because you know, when O.J. Simpson, when he was accused, 
you had legal panels, they were debating everything. They would not say whether O.J. was guilty or innocent, right? They were debating it like it was a real who done it. He's been stripped of that. There's no real press here. There's nobody to stick up for him other than, you know, little bastions of conservative media here and there. And most of them are useless. Next. And when he is stripped of all of the rallies and the truth socials, he's just a guy. I think mm-hmm. Eugene called him um, the emperor with no clothes. That's not my quote, but <laughs> he definitely is. He's not the guy that you see on TV. Mm-hmm. He's just a guy. Um, sometimes acting like a petulant toddler, but um, just a guy. Just a guy. Now, he's a former federal prosecutor. There's a lot I don't like about that. Just a guy. Number one, he's a citizen. He still has rights. Sometimes federal prosecutors, they don't see people that way. And also, Donald Trump, let's face it, he's not just a guy. In fact, Kathy Hochul changed the law, changed the law so they could sue Donald Trump. She changed it. We have a statute of limitations. She's like, oh, that's, that's so pre-me too. We can't have a statute of limitations. You can sue Donald Trump. We are giving you a, a, a one-year opportunity to do so, no matter how old the allegation. Hmm? So is this just a guy? Four cases, five cases all over the country, running for president at the same time? Just a guy? This just happened because of genuine wrongdoing? No, it's not. And you know it, and I know it. And he's winning anyway. And the truth will ultimately prevail about this phony case. In a way, it already has. But I think everybody will be restored, and everybody will have what's coming to them. I'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, where real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels. And switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda. No spin. Just the facts. Millions watches. So can you. Newsmax, we are real news for real people. All right, this is Dr. Youssef Salam. He's a councilman in New York City. And he just got pulled over by the cops. And he doesn't think, as a New York City councilman, that should happen to him. Uh, Here's the body cam footage. He was pulled over because his windows were too dark. There's a law against that here. You can't have them too tinted. Roll that back one for me, too. Can you roll your back window, please? Hello, I'm Officer Protector from the 26 Precinct. I'm Councilmember Salam. Oh, Councilmember? This district, District 9. Oh, okay. Uh, Have a good one. Yep. You're you're working, right? Uh, All right. Take care, sir. All right. No problem, I guess, right? Found out the guy was a councilman. I don't see why they get a get a free pass, but okay. Now, the councilman didn't like this. He put out a big statement. What happened here? And he, well, I introduced myself as Councilman Yusuf Salam and subsequently asked the officer why I was pulled over. Instead of answering my question, the officer stated, we're done here and proceeded to walk away. 
And the councilman, of course, he thinks that this is, I say of course, because I know something about this guy, is hinting that race may have been a factor and, oh gosh, there wasn't sufficient cause to, to pull me over. Uh, I don't see it that way at all. I see him lying in this statement. Potentially could be mistaken, but the officer didn't say we're done here. Say you work at the city council. Okay, have a nice night. That's what I heard. I didn't hear that guy even ask why he was pulled over. So, Dr. Youssef Salam, councilman, is making a big deal out of this. And um, a good chunk of the fake news is supporting him as the issue slowly blows over. The issue did not slowly blow over for Chief Mary O'Connor of Tampa. Do you remember this story? So, she's a big city police chief. This is about a year and a half ago or so. And she's in a golf cart near a country club with her husband and gets pulled over, actually. Watch. Good evening. How you doing? Good. I'm Deputy Chicago Sheriff's Office. Stopped you because you driving tag or uh, unregistered vehicle with no tag on it on the roadway. Yeah, we were. We went to the club. It was closed, so we went over and picked up some. Is your camera on? It is. I'm the police chief in Tampa. Oh, how you doing? I'm doing good. Okay. I'm hoping that you'll just let us go tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah. Uh, now you say I. Uh, you look familiar, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I do. Okay, so, all right, folks. Well, uh, have a good night. Staying over here in East Lake Woodlands. Yeah, we live we in East Lake Woodlands. Yes. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Well, it's nice to meet you. <laughs> so, I'm Deputy Jacoby. Okay. Same here, my friend. All right. Take so, care of yourself. All right. Sorry take care. To bother you. All right. No worries. No worries. All right. No worries. It's kind of like a certain professional courtesy, right? And. Uh, it happens. It does. Maybe people don't like it, but it does. When cops pull over other cops, rarely is a ticket issued. Come on. Cops have it tough. So what happened? The whole media universe freaked out and said that this uh, chief, a Karen, they called her, deserved to be fired. And she was. Well, Tampa's police chief resigned today after an investigation into a traffic stop where she asked for special treatment. Body cam video shows the now former chief asking a sheriff's deputy to just let them go. Hoping, hoping. Look, it's okay. It's a, cops have a tough job, right? Isn't it possibly just one of the perks that cops don't give each other tickets 90% of the time? What breaks my heart about this story the most is the husband, though. The husband, uh, Mr. O'Connor, I guess. He's so proud of his wife, and justifiably so. You know? I don't know. They were so cooperative, and everything was nice. So back to Dr. Youssef Salam. You know, he's going to keep his job in all of this. And I don't have a problem with him mentioning, mentioning that he was a councilman, but maybe not telling the truth about what happened. I'm trying to say that the cop was rude, and I don't know. Hmm? But it's amazing how things work, isn't it? I'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. Recognize this, back when we were safe, Back when the, the, the world knew not to mess with the United States, Donald Trump, President Trump with his national security team. 
Off on his right-hand side, you will see his national security advisor, Robert O'Brien. Uh, very, very effective and very, very relevant to this day. He's making the media rounds, and I hope he finds his way back into a Trump administration. If there is one, and I hope there is one, Robert O'Brien, uh, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? And do you ever reminisce? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to sound, but it, it really was significantly different and safer when you guys were in power. Well, Greg, it's great to be with you. And uh, I was just thinking today, Tony Blinken said uh, that it's the most dangerous it's been in the Middle East since 1973. I'd go a step further and say that the world is the most dangerous it's been since 1938. And just how did we get here? I mean, just three years ago, we had peace in the Middle East. We had Russia contained in Europe. We had China in a box and they weren't threatening Taiwan. I mean, it's really amazing to see what's happened in the world and Iran, of course, and Hamas and Hezbollah and Khatib Hezbollah, they're, they're proxies, the Houthis attacking Americans and killing American soldiers. I mean, we would have never stood for American soldiers being killed by an adversary like Iran when I was in office with President Trump. So it, things have sure, sure changed a lot in three years, as you point out. So the president came out today, President Biden, kind of mumbled some things. He's, he said that he's figured out what he wants to do to Iran. He wouldn't share that. I wasn't expecting him to. I found it kind of weird, though, that he said, I made up my mind. And, and now certain, uh, we got the Politico and others reporting that he's thinking about hitting Navy bases in the Persian Gulf of Iran. Uh, what about the reaction thus far? I mean, post, post the killing of those three soldiers, what, what do you think of what, what we're seeing here? Well, listen, I hope they're planning a major strike because we've had 150 attacks against American facilities and, and soldiers over the past, since October 7th, since Israel was so brutally attacked by Hamas at Iran's instigation and so with Iran's support. And they, they've, they've attacked it well. They've, they've done it with impunity. We've had a couple of pinprick strikes that, quite frankly, make Will Clinton's attack, cruise missile attack on the Astra factory in Sudan look like a, you know, uh, the invasion of Normandy, given how, how weak and ineffective our, our counter has been. And so I hope they're going to do something that is going to restore deterrence in the region. I hope they're going to do something to send the Iranians a message that if you kill Americans and kill American soldiers, there's a, a serious price to pay. So far, there's been no price. And it's been appeasement, appeasement, appeasement. And so I'm, I'm hoping that the, with his combatant commanders and, and the Joint Chiefs that they're putting together a package that will, will let Iran know that America means business and you don't kill American soldiers in the Middle East. And, uh, I'll, I'll be happy if that happens, but I'll be also be surprised given how weak and effective we've been, we've been so far in these re, these responsive attacks. Well, we're pushing 48 hours. Nothing has happened. Uh, I, I I don't know. Hey, you mentioned uh, what they're saying about how dangerous things are. Take a look at this because the administration, the Biden administration, their their head is spinning uh, and, and their story is changing. Take a look at this. Sullivan, your uh, successor, and Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. The amount of time that I have to spend on crisis and conflict in the Middle East today compared to any of my predecessors going back to 9-11 is significantly reduced. I would argue that we have not seen a situation as, as dangerous as the one we're facing now across the region since at least 1973. Your reaction? Well, Jake was obviously, you know, I'm sure Jake Sullivan would like to do, have a do-over on that statement. He'd like to take it back if he could. But that was the quiet before the storm. And when you're the national security advisor, you have to look around corners. You have to see what's coming down the road. And obviously the Biden folks with their appeasement strategy with Iran, they thought they could buy Iranian love. They thought if we gave them 
you know, hundreds of billions of dollars in sanctions relief, if we paid them billions of dollars for American hostages, if, if, we, if we let them go about the, doing what they wanted to do in Yemen and, and actually leaned on the Saudis and leaned on the Israelis, our own allies and partners, that, that the Iranians would suddenly love us. And the Iranians hate us. They hate our way of life. They want to drive us out of the Middle East. Everyone knows that. It's been the, the true since the revolution. And so we need some clear-headed realism. But, uh, you know, I'm sure Jake wishes he had a do-over on that statement for sure. Uh, Tony Blinken. And maybe, maybe, maybe he should just avoid cameras and avoid microphones because I did not feel safer after he said this, um, after the deaths of the soldiers. Uh, Tony Blinken, please. From the outset, we've been very clear in warning that anyone looking to take advantage of conflict in the Middle East uh, and try to expand it, don't do it. I kind of found myself Boy, wouldn't President Trump talking about fire and fury be really great right about now? Um, sir, did, did that did statements like that make us weaker, make us less safe? So, so it doesn't make us weaker. Look, Greg, America is a fundamentally strong country. I mean, we're the greatest country in the world. We're the, we have the strongest military in the world. It's being used very poorly now, and we're, we're losing our edge because we're, we've got a recruitment crisis because of a number of factors, the fact that we won't fight back, the, the wokeness, all those sorts of things, but we, we remain fundamentally strong. But we're less safe because of the, the, the way that our military is employed and, and the view from the, the outside world, from our adversaries especially, that America won't res respond to provocations and attacks on our soldiers. They, 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 they can get away with things with impunity because, our, because they perceive us to be weak, even though we're not weak. So what I'm calling on the Biden administration to do, and maybe it's not good politics for, for our side for the election, but go back to President Reagan and President Trump's peace through strength posture. Be strong. It's good for America. It's good for the American people. Retaliate against Iran. Let, let the Chinese and the, the Russians know that we're not going to be pushed around. But, but the, the, the persistent weakness in our diplomacy and our, our economic diplomacy and our military posture get, is provocative. And, and, and it gives our, our adversaries uh, pause to believe that there's an opening. They, they can attack America and its partners as Ukraine's been attacked, as Israel's been attacked, as Taiwan is being threatened, as, as Japan's being threatened in the Senkaku Islands. Uh, everyone's running amok. The world's aflame because there's a perception that America's weak, but we're fundamentally strong. I, unfortunately, I think the only way we're really going to change that after the catastrophe in Afghanistan and the wide open border and who knows how many terrorists and Chinese military officers are here in America because of the open border and the, the cells that are being created here. But the only way it'll really change, Greg, is, is a new regime, a new government in Washington in November, and an election in November, and a new government in January, and hopefully that'll be President Trump. And hopefully you're by his side, and this gets turned around very, very quickly. Robert O'Brien, the former right. National Security Advisor and future who knows what. Many thanks, sir. We'll be right back. Greta Van Susteren is back. She's on Newsmax, giving you the really big stories without the spin. Watch The Record with Greta Van Susteren. She's smart, tough, and always fair. Don't miss Greta's new show. Six months ago, here in New York City, I made the case that Donald Trump was uh, dangerously incompetent and incapable of world leadership. In the past few days, in the wake of the killing of the Iranian General Soleimani, I think Donald Trump has proven beyond that comment, beyond dispute. And the reckless disregard for the consequences that would surely follow 
was, in my view, dangerously incompetent. Donald Trump took out a major Iranian terrorist, a guy who was committed to killing Americans and Jews all over the world, and that was dangerously incompetent. That was three years ago this month. Congressman Mike Waltz joins us, Republican of Florida. Congressman, welcome back. Good to see you again. Wow. Um, I wish for the old days, don't you? What are you worried about wow. right now? Yeah, well, thanks for replaying that. I'm worried about uh, the weakness in, the, in this White House uh, that clearly every one of our adversaries smells and sees uh, with their own eyes. Uh, and shouldn't surprise anybody why they're on the march right now. But look, uh, uh, so many of us predicted, sadly, that, that this day was going to come. I guess 50 attacks, 100 attacks, 150 attacks, 200 on our service members across the Middle East weren't enough. Uh, that this White House was had to wait till somebody died uh, before they started consider, considering meaningful uh, action. We'll see what that is. Uh, Donald Trump knew what it was. It wasn't sending in the Marines to Tehran. Uh, it wasn't fecklessly bombing warehouses in the middle of the desert so you can check the box to say you did something like what Biden's been doing. It was a precision strike on someone that Iran cared about, on someone that was actively plotting uh, to attack our embassy one, once again. And you know what? Deterrence and stability was restored in the Middle East. And not only that, we had uh, the, the other countries in the Middle East suddenly signing peace accords uh, with the Abraham Accords. The only thing that was escalating under Donald Trump was peace. Uh, so God help us uh, between now and November, uh, but we've got to get him back in this White House. Let's uh, pretend for a moment you're back in uniform and you're on a high-level assignment to the White House, uh, from the Pentagon to the White House. You're a deputy national security advisor. You can't fix every mistake that they already made, but what would you be advising? What kind of retaliatory strikes? Some of the stuff that is being kicked around, apparently these are official leaks, you know, going after naval targets in the Persian Gulf, which doesn't sound decisive, um, maybe stretching it out over a period of time, that doesn't sound decisive, but what, what do you think we should do? What would your advice be? Yeah. Well, we know that uh, Iran has operatives, IRGC operatives, all over Iraq and Syria that are advising, training, and arming uh, these these militias, these proxy militias. Uh, so we can hit them and should have already. Uh, Soleimani's successor uh, is running around the Middle East with free reign, uh, plotting attacks on Israel and American bases. We can hit him again. Uh, so there's a number of targets outside of Iran uh, as we, uh, you know, sometimes escalate to de-escalate. Number one, but number two, longer term, dry up the cash, start enforcing the sanctions. Uh, House Republicans uh, have passed a bill to go after what we call secondary sanctions: the refiners, the Chinese brokers, uh, the shipping companies that are buying Iranian oil in violation of sanctions and making them rich uh, that they're using to fund terrorism. And then three, this is longer term, but you know what? The next time the Iranian people rise up and say we need change, as they did under both Obama and under Biden, uh, let's not just ignore it. 
let's let them know that we have their back. Let's help them communicate. Uh, if the Iranian, let's stand with the Iranian people rather than trying to cozy up to a dictatorial terrorist supporting regime as both Obama and Biden has done. Uh, that would be on my short list amongst others. Joe Biden today said he made up his mind, but uh, it's in his head, whatever he's gonna do next. Take a look at this, please. Yes. I do hold them responsible in the sense that they're supplying the weapons to the people who did it. We'll, we'll have that discussion. Look, I get it. You got to choose your words carefully. Uh, it's obviously weak once again. But what about, I mean, maybe it should have happened already. It's kind of weird. Like, I decided to do it and nothing has happened. Maybe he should have just ignored the reporters, or which is easy enough to do if you're the president. Did that make us less safe somehow? Yeah, well, I mean, I think announcing to everybody that something is coming, uh, I've given the order. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even I don't even know what to say to that. It, it's just bizarre. Hey, hey, bully in the schoolyard. I've decided I'm going to maybe punch you in the nose. Uh, but guys, this is this incompetence. It's not funny. It's very serious. This weakness has our adversaries on the march. Uh, they keep making bad decision after bad decision from the border to China to shutting down uh, our gas exports uh, and and to these kind of pinprick attacks that are only inviting more aggression uh, from uh, from the Ayatollahs. And it's getting people killed. Uh, it has very real consequences. And it just uh, it infuriates me. It should infuriate every American. It should infuriate those new gold star families uh, that are without their loved ones now unnecessarily. But I worry about our soldiers and sailors, the airmen, Marines that are still out there. And by the way, for those, uh, you know, rightly asking, why do we even still have people in the Middle East? They're going after ISIS. Uh, and they're they're keeping them over there rather than hitting us at home and hitting Europe again, as they did under Obama. So, um, you know, a part of me says either pull everybody out or give them the tools to defend themselves. It's one of the two. But right now we're stuck in some purgatory in between under Joe Biden. Congressman Mike Waltz, Republican of Florida, many, many thanks. And just an idea, you as Secretary of Defense in the next Trump administration. Call me crazy, but I think that would be fantastic for you and for well, the country. So just uh, you don't have to say anything. I think it's a good idea. Let's get Donald Trump back in that White House and, uh, and, and let's take it from there. First right. things first. Thank okay. you. Okay, absolutely. Congressman, thank you. We'll be right back. Have you seen any of the pictures I've, of her in concert? I wouldn't go myself. I don't do that kind of thing anymore. But I think what they call it is uh, they're elevating her to an idol, idolatry. This is a little bit what idolatry, I think, looks like. And you're not supposed to do that. In fact, if you look it up in the Bible, it's a sin. That guy knows exactly what he's talking about. Okay, so... Something I said last night, I've been wanting to say it for a while. It's totally true. I believe it. I don't have a problem with uh, Taylor Swift, by the way. Uh, this little moment erupted globally, all right? They're talking about this in Tokyo, Japan, and beyond. Newsmax host Greg Kelly, how dare he says something that is true? 
That is true. Nobody had really an issue with the substance. It was just, how dare he say it? After all, he likes Trump. All right, so I'll get to the idolatry part in a moment. Just to recap a couple of things. Uh, wish Taylor the best, but I don't think that's a genuine relationship she's got going with Kelsey, all right? I can read body language pretty good, and I'm pretty sure Kelsey is not into her. Not sure what she's thinking about him, if it's a put-on or what, but uh, we've seen her madly in love before, right? Okay, so there's that. And, yes, this is what idolatry looks like. This kind of stuff, right? I mean, drop the banner for a moment. This is a little bit beyond. And she's not the first person. She's not the first American idol, right? This has happened throughout, well, at least since World War II. It seems to happen all the time. Elvis Presley, the Beatles, you know, hey. And it happens to all of us. At one point in my life, I actually cried when the New York Yankees lost. I was about 12, maybe 13, maybe a little bit too old. I got a good talking to about it, and I got over it. Idolatry, what is it? What is the definition, please? According to one definition, it is extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone, the worship of someone or something other than God as though it were God. And yeah, when you put Taylor Swift on a pedestal like that, and you watch her sing songs about herself, it looks like idolatry. It is something that we're all susceptible to. As I mentioned, happened to me, Yankee fan, whatever. If you look it up, it is technically a sin. And believe me, and I know I don't have to, you know, look, we've all failed, all right? No judgment here. But their big thing is, well, what about Trump? What about Trump? I mean, everybody idolizes him, at least the MAGA folks do. Well, I think there's a big difference. Taylor Swift sings songs about her life. And no matter how well she sings, no matter how many billions she makes, not one crime is going to be prevented. No one's going to get a job. Schools will not improve. War and peace will be oblivious. He talks about us, us. And I think there's a huge difference. And oh, by the way, it's kind of simple when you think about it. He's just a man at a podium. From time to time, there's fanfare. But no, not much. And that's how we change the game. I think this is healthy. The other stuff, not so much. I'll be right back. He loves the Constitution. He fights for what's right. He hates the bad guys. He's a freedom warrior. He's your freedom warrior. Watch Carl Higby every weekday on Newsmax. Participate in our poll, please. Who should Trump pick as VP? Here's what you do. Text the word VICE to 39747, 39747 VICE, and it'll take you through all the steps. We'd really appreciate it, okay? Many thanks. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, it's Tony Marino, host of the wildly popular Newsmax Daily podcast, available for free along with Jerry Callahan, Rob Carson, and other great podcasts at Newsmax.com slash listen or wherever you get podcasts.